Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. So it is the very first question that God ever asked. It is recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. We've been talking about that the last couple weeks. God enters the garden to spend a little time with Adam and Eve, and lo and behold, they're no longer right out wide in the open. They've been living unencumbered with no shame, no fear, no clothes. Uh, yeah, okay, so that you got to read it just like it is, right? And God had, would spend time every evening talking with them and communing with them. But now they've messed up. Adam and Eve, uh, you notice I put them together because the men would like to say it's the woman's fault, but the truth is he should have been with her, probably was with her and didn't say anything, right? She went shopping for some fruit and ate some fruit, and they fall. And now God shows up in the garden, and they're... He can't, it's like, now you got to remember, God knows everything, so it's not like he didn't know where they were. He knew where they were, but now they're hiding behind bushes, and he asks this question. His voice thunders through the branches they're hiding behind, right straight into the soul of Adam, and I believe now into our soul as well, and he asks this question in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, where are you. It's the same question we've been asking since the beginning of the year. We started talking about trying to evaluate and figure out where we are in our walk with Christ because we must remember that we are called to a journey of growth. We are not called to stagnate. We're not called to sit and sour. Once you get saved, I'm never going to grow again. I just, as long as I'm headed to heaven, everything is good. No, 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 no. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to mature. And so we said that we've got to make an an intentional effort to grow. And so the same question should be asked of us. Where are you? Are you maturing? Are you growing? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Or are you attempting to make Jesus more like you so that you can continue in thought patterns and in behavior patterns and, 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 and that, that you're comfortable with? And what I want to declare to you is we are called to grow. So, so I just need to remind you, um, you, you may know some preachers that wait till Saturday night to prepare. I'm not that guy. I've been praying about this series since June of last year, we began to think about this and pray about this. And I knew, I knew going in, I knew that this would be a painful series for us. And I was reminded of my high school wrestling coach, Coach Richard Dabbs, who would put us through uh, what he called gut check days. Gut check days were basically this. He tried to kill us. He would turn the heat up in the wrestling room to like 162 degrees and, and we would do push-ups and leg lifts and sprawls and wall sits and all kinds of stuff until I watched one of my friends, his name is Jeff Green, lose 20 pounds in one practice, lock up because of a gut check day. But he would always remind me of this. He would say to us, he would say this, no pain, no gain. So in order for us to become everything that Jesus wants us to become, needs us to become, it might just require just a little bit of pain because without the pain, we like to stay the same. And so we've been talking that we are called to mature. Here are the stages we've been dealing with because we all fall in one of these stages. We are either an infant in Christ. We've been in rela Some of us have been saved for 62 years and we're still infants in Jesus. So it's not about how long you've been saved. It's about where you are on this in, in the journey. So we talked last week about being an infant in Christ. Today we're going to talk about being a teenager in Christ. Our goal is to move you all the way to becoming a parent in your relationship with Jesus. I told you that what we would do is we would examine 
overlook some natural tendencies we have in each stage because they parallel for us how we act spiritually. I also said that we would talk about a skill necessary in each stage to graduate. So we said last week that in order for you to move out of an infant relationship with Jesus to into the teen stage, that you would have to learn. As an infant in Christ, we are called to learn the basics. How to read your Bible, how to fast, how to pray, how to live, all that stuff. But that's not our last stop, that's our first stop. I'm thankful you got saved in the dark ages. I'm thankful you got saved 10 years ago. I'm thankful you got saved last year. I'm thankful you got saved last Sunday, but that's not the final stop. That's the first stop, and we are to continue to progress. So let's continue to journey together. So I figured that one of the best places to talk about maturity is through the writings of Paul. Paul was blunt. Y'all, so some of y'all understand why I like Paul because I have this tendency, right? I'm a little bit blunt. I like the writings of Paul because Paul was blunt. And Paul thought that maturing in our relationship, going through those stages was so important that he addresses it in Scripture. He writes the church at Ephesus in Ephesians, uh, and he tells us about growing in our faith. Then he's so concerned about it that he even talks about it in Hebrews in general. So let's see what Paul said. Let's see how, see whether Paul was in a blunt mood or not. Y'all know he was, right? All right, I remind you, we're a talkback church. Don't go to sleep on me. All right, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. You can say ouch when I read this if you want to. It says, we must become like a mature person, growing until we become like Christ and have his perfection. The word, there's the word. He says we must grow. There, there's no wiggle room. There's no exemptions. You don't get a get out of mature free card. We're all called to mature. We must. In other words, Paul is saying we are not only obligated to grow, we are expected to grow. So so he said, we must, we must, we must. Then he goes on in Hebrews. Listen to what he says. Hebrews chapter 5. Oh, man, this is blunt. I don't know if we can handle this. I hope hope y'all came ready. Got your big boy pants on. Got your steel-toed shoes on. He gets gets rough right here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. Listen to what he says. He says, you have been Christians a long time. That's calendar. You have been Christians a long time now, and you you ought to be teaching others. But instead, you have dropped back to the place where you need someone to teach you all over again the very first principles in God's Word. Time out. we got to take a break. I think we need to recognize that Paul understands that it is, it is uh, possible to move forward in your walk with Christ, but it is also entirely possible to backtrack in your relation. Oh, y'all missed it. Y'all missed it. That's why we're doing this series because a lot of us have progressed to a point and then we become comfortable and without even knowing it, although we should be moving on, we've stopped and we've actually started drifting backwards and we've become so comfortable in our drift. Get my drift? Oh, yeah, okay, so, 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 sorry. Okay, so, so he said, you're, he says, you, you, you are like babies who can drink only milk not enough, not old enough for solid food. And when a person is still living on milk, it shows he isn't very far along in his Christian life. And he doesn't know how much, uh, know much about the difference between right and wrong. He is still a baby Christian. You will never be able to eat solid spiritual food and understand the deeper things of God's word until you become better Christians and learn right from wrong by practicing doing right. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, you're supposed to be on this journey and become better Christians. 
better Christians, right? Then he goes on in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. He says this. He says, let us stop going over the same old ground again and again, always teaching those first lessons about Christ. Let us go instead to the other things and become mature in our understanding as strong Christians ought to be. Paul's mean. We ought to just cancel Paul. That's what we would do in this society day, today when somebody would write us a letter. If somebody wrote us a letter like that, somebody actually read this from a pulpit in a church today and said we ought to live up to what Paul's saying, we would just cancel them. We're not going to listen to him. He was mean, right, but he was honest. He was blunt. He's saying to us, I require you to move forward in this journey. So what I want to do is I want to show you here in just a minute a scriptural example of someone who actually did what Paul said. I think it's imperative for us to see a scriptural example that somebody can pull this off. But before I do, could we first stop and talk about some of the natural characteristics of a teenager that parallel spiritual teenagers? And I, know, I must admit as I reflect, is there anybody in the room that wished that they could go back to being a teenager? Because I reflect back on my teenage year with my, my, my mullet and my parachute pants and my acne and, and my self-esteem issues. And I recognize that the teenage years are difficult at times and scary at times. Anybody want to testify? I wouldn't want to go back. I, I, I would like to be younger, but not that young. All right, all right. So, so let's talk about teenagers. I just tried to develop a list. How, what, how does a natural teenager, uh, I feel like the explorer on TV that's narrating one of those geographic, in, in his native environment, in the wild, how does a teenager live? Here, here's how. Here's some of the characteristics. They believe they're invincible. That's why they do stupid stuff. Now, my parents are in the room, so i got to be really careful here as I reflect on some of the stupid stuff I did. But I can vividly remember getting in this friend of mine. His, I'm going to tell who it is so he gets grounded rather than me. His name was Leroy Heist Jr. that had this Camaro. And uh, he had a Corvette engine in the Camaro T-tops. It was so loud and it had so much torque that when he would hit the, the, the gas really hard, it would pop the T-tops out. Mom and Dad didn't know this but, and still don't know. So y'all put your fingers in your ear because I'm about to be grounded. I, I think as a teenager, how dumb was I that I was that I got in the car with him knowing what was about to happen as he takes us around around Dead Man's Curve at about 125 miles an hour. The only dilemma was there was a car in the lane that we were supposed to drive in, and so he decides that he would take Dead Man's Curve on the shoulder at 125 miles an hour. I never thought anything about it because I was a stupid teenager. I didn't think anything would bother me. I thought I was invincible. Right? Am I right? Am I right? Okay, y'all amen me now because it's going to get tied up in here, here in just a minute. Teenagers don't like accountability. Don't lack any accountability. I'll tell you why here in a minute. Uh, you know that's true because here's, here's what they say. Don't tell me what to do. Okay, some of my parents in the room are having way too much fun because they had teenagers. All right. Uh, they're wishy-washy at times. They experiment, but they don't really commit to anything. Okay? Number four, they, they push boundaries and buttons. Come on, teenage parents, parents of teenagers in the room. Could you just amen me one time? Like you're okay, yeah. They push buttons. Like you just want, you just want, ooh, I just want to ring. Mine are no longer teenagers, so we're out of this stage. Thank Jesus. But there were moments where I wanted to, y'all about to have to come visit pastor in jail. Because, okay, because they push buttons. They know what to say. 
All right, they typically want junk food. Yeah, all the time. They can live at Burger King, McDonald's every day, three times a day, all day long. Yeah, okay. Uh, they chase what feels good. They're, co- they're completely at times, now not all the time, it's just that you could, you could, uh, you could sell tickets on their ride. If they're up and down, in and out. It's about what feels good. They're, they're, they're controlled by their emotions. Up and down, what I feel. Uh, they benefit from the work of others. Don't act like they got that car all on their own. I got my car all on my own. They called it the mosquito fogger. It smoked so bad. I paid 500 bucks for it. I worked my rear off for it. But most teenagers don't get what they're driving these days on their own. They're benefiting from the work of others. Come on, somebody. They don't get the allowance on their work. They get, they're benefiting from, okay, all right. They don't, they don't like to take directions or corrections. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, uh, number nine, I, I had to choose a really nice word here. I said they're picky. What I wanted to say, I'm not going to say it, but what I wanted to say was that they're opinionated. They think they know everything, right? The common refrain when you tell a teenager something is, I know, right? Okay, okay. And then last, they are absolutely obsessed with fitting in, trying to fit in trying to find my place in the community, trying to find my place in society, trying to fit in at school, trying to fit in on my team. I, I, I wear stuff I don't even like trying to fit in. I, 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 okay, so, so what happens in the natural parallels what's going on in the spiritual. I told you you weren't going to like me much. You should have amen me on the natural because the spiritual gets pretty tough when we begin to identify that as spiritual teenagers we act the same way. Here it is. We, we believe we're invincible. We will mess with stuff as a spiritual teenager that we should never mess with. Thinking, I'm invincible. I can handle this. No, you can't. But we think we can. Uh, 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 we, we, we don't want any accountability. I just want to do me. I want to do it the way I want to do it. Don't tell me not to date somebody. Don't tell me not to spend my money like that. Don't tell me not to go to these places. I am my own man, my own woman, and yet you're a spiritual teenager, and all of a sudden you're in places doing things you cannot. Okay, I'm preaching right now. We're, we're, we don't like accountability. We're wishy-washy at times. We experiment, but we won't commit. We, we push all the boundaries. We push buttons. We want junk food. We're tossed to and fro from all, from all different kinds of spiritual doctrines. It's just like we're, we're, we're here, there, here, there. I'm tossed to and fro. I'm with. We're teenagers. We, we exhibit this. We chase what feels good. We're up and we're down. We're neither hot nor cold. We're just kind of in and out. We're not, we benefit from the work of others as spiritual teenagers. I don't want to read my Bible. I, I don't want to pray. I just want you to do it for me. That, that, that's the carryover from infancy to teenager. We still want other people to do the work that we should be doing. I do want to tell you this, though. As a teenager, it's very difficult to develop spiritual disciplines because it doesn't feel good. And we want other people to do it. However, if we develop spiritual disciplines while we're teenagers, when it doesn't feel good, they will last the rest of our life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we, we don't like to, to take directions. We don't want correction. Uh, I, I can identify a spiritual teenager almost instantly because when you try to help them on their journey, they will fight you. Don't tell me what I should not and what I should and shouldn't do. 
We watch the same people in teenage stage doing the same stupid stuff over and over again. And a pastor or a, a mentor or a counselor, a, a teacher comes along and says, stop doing that. And they will fight for their right to party. See, I am an 80s child. They will fight you to death. I can do this. I, I, can, I can do this. I'm strong enough. I can go there. I can spend my time around them. I, I can listen. I can, still, I can still remember, okay, I was dealing with teenagers. When I was a youth pastor, this was so common. I would have young men approach me and say, listen, my thought life is completely out of control. I can't quit thinking about this stuff. I would have young ladies approach me and say, my self-esteem is in the dumpster. I don't, I don't feel like I'm enough. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I can't. And I would say to them, this is what I would say, I would ask them questions like, what you're listening to? And they would tell me what they're listening to. Then I would say, I know because you just, you just told us that last Friday night you spent a bunch of money to go watch stuff that you shouldn't even be watching because you're not even old enough to be watching it by society standards, but you're watching it. And then you're telling me that you're struggling with your self-esteem and you're struggling with your thought life. Stop it. But you don't understand, Pastor Steve. I don't listen to the words. I just listen to the beat. Never failed. Never failed. Every time. I cannot give that stuff up. And it was penetrating their spirit because teenagers don't want any accountability and they don't want direction and they don't want correction. Come on, I'm talking in the spiritual realm. Some of you have been saved a long time, but you're still acting like teenagers because you won't let anybody identify and correct what is going on in your life. Yeah. We're picky. We're opinionated. We're obsessed with trying to fit in. That's why uh, you can spot a spiritual a teenage Christian because, because of this. This is what happens. They chase applause and they chase approval and they chase giftings and they chase titles because we're just simply trying to fit in. Okay, so what do we do? And, I, and before I tell you the skill necessary, I just need to tell you once again, this has nothing to do with calendar. You, can have been, you could be saved as long as I've been saved and still be a spiritual infant or a spiritual teenager. This has nothing to do with calendar. This has to do with intentionally making steps towards growth. So I said as an infant, the way you become a teenager out of infancy is you, you remember, you learn. Right? As an infant, you, you grow out of an infant stage because you learn. I learn to walk. I learn to talk. I learn how to behave. I learn how to believe. I learn, I learn, right? So here it is. I'm getting ready to help you. The skill necessary to move out of teenage years in your spiritual walk is this. You have to listen. Listen. You learn but as a teenager, you're going to think you know everything. Y'all ever met a teenager who thought they know everything? Yeah, all of them. So the only way out of that is you have to develop this skill. I got to listen. So now let me take you to this scriptural account. In the New Testament, there's a passage of scripture that I learned uh, in college. I memorized it in college. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It's, the, it's an account. But before we read it, let me, let me tell you what happens because I miss, chapter, I miss verse 51. It's this, this occurrence. Jesus is 12 years old. In our, in our society, that's a teenager. In his society, let's just be honest and transparent, they considered him a young man. But for our sake, he's a teenager, 12 years old, almost a teenager. His parents, Joseph and Mary, traveled to Jerusalem to make sacrifices, right? They spend the time there. It's crowded. It's busy, correct? 
they leave Jerusalem on the way home. And when Mary and Joseph stop at Bucky's to get some beaver nuggets, they suddenly recognize, how does this happen? Jesus is not even with them. They won the Parent of the War, oh, Year Award right there, right? They're at Bucky's eating their beaver nuggets, and, and Mary goes, you got the boy? And Joseph goes, no, I thought you got the boy. So all of a sudden, in a frenzy and in a panic, they make a mad dash back to Jerusalem, right? And the Bible says that they find Jesus sitting in the temple as a 12-year-old, and he's confounding and astounding the priest with all of his wisdom, right? Okay, so now, listen what happens. Mary confronts Jesus and says, who do you, th- I'm sure she had to do it, like, who do you think you are? I will, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. Don't make me, okay, I don't know that she did all that. I just know that she confronted him, has a conversation with him. Listen to what happens. Okay, I can quote verse 52, but I hadn't read 51 in a long time. Listen, because this shows us how somebody develops. Listen, listen, listen. So, He, being Jesus, went back to Nazareth with them and lived obediently with them. His mother held these things dearly deep within her, and Jesus, here it is, matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and people. You missed it. I missed it. He said, it says this, he went home and he obeyed them. That means that Jesus, in order to mature, to grow, had to come to this place where he was willing to listen. His mom and dad looked at teenage Jesus and said, go clean your nasty room, and he went and obeyed. Go take out the trash, Jesus. It's trash day, and that's your responsibility. Get out of bed, Jesus, and comb your nasty hair. And every time for this period of his life, he obeyed. He listened, and he obeyed. And the result is verse 52. And he grew, and he matured in favor with both God and and man. You will never become a a mature parent, adult, until you first learn as an infant and listen as a teenager. That's why the wise man said this. He says in Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8, listen my son to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. He's talking about listening. He says in Proverbs chapter 12 verse 15, the way of a teenager, I mean it says fool. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise one listens to advice. A wise one listens to advice. The way we graduate from being a teenager to becoming more mature in our faith is we listen to people that know what they're talking about. Yeah, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Paul echoes this thought. He says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would, not, that would be of no advantage to you. To you, Paul is literally saying, if you want to go, he's, he's already confronted them about not maturing. He said, if you want to become the mature believer that you need to become and that you're expected to become, you will have to learn obedience, which comes from listening. So let me make three or four statements and then I'll get out of your way because some of y'all are really uncomfortable. No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. This has been a painful journey, not just for y'all. I've been living this for about six months. This hurts. I took the test. 
This hurts. Y'all going to take a test. Don't forget, there's a test. Tell your baby, your neighbor, don't, don't skip the test. There's a test coming. And I'll tell you when. One, it's got to be within the next two weeks, right? There's a test. Yeah, we're ready. We, we, we're ready. I took, our entire pastoral staff took the test. It's painful. But let me make some statements. And then I get out your way because y'all hurt me. I want you to understand that being set down to grow up is not abuse. In the church world today, it stems from what's happening in society. We have convinced ourselves that being rebuked, corrected, set down is abuse. And so we exit that environment when the truth is, according to what Paul said, there are people assigned to our lives that help us mature. And if we exit that, we never mature. Being set down to grow up, it can be abused. It has been abused. But listen, if you're in an environment where people care about you, if that happens, that's not abuse. I want to tell you something else. Accountability is not abuse. We've got this idea that all we need is just me and Jesus. The dilemma is, is that we don't always listen to Jesus until he uses his ventriloquist skill and talks through somebody else that's got our ear. We need other people that are willing to step up and allow to be bold enough and brave enough and blunt enough to say, this is wrong. Change this. Master this. Focus on this and quit focusing on that. And when we do, that's not abuse, y'all. I want to tell you how the enemy works because it's the same in our teenage years naturally and spiritually. Here it is. The enemy wants you to become offended with those that are called to protect you. Here's why. As a natural teenager, we, think, we start thinking like this. I know, I know everybody in this room that's ever been a teenager thought like this. I'm grown. I'm grown. That's the buttons and the boundaries because then you just want to slap them down so they ain't grown. But, but I'm grown. Don't tell me what to do. If I could just move out on my own, everything would be all right. Except you won't be able to pay your bills. You won't be able to eat. God assigns relationships to us to protect us. The enemy uh, in the natural, when, we, when I was a teenager, I became so offended at my parents because they wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. Dad, can I go to that, that there, there's a gathering of my wrestling friends at a house. <laughs> yes, Dad, the parents are not there. They're on vacation, but we're still gathering. No, son, I am grown. Can I borrow the car? I'm grown. Right? And I become offended by that. Listen, listen, I'm just trying to help you. You cannot grow, you cannot allow the enemy to use the same tool against you in your spiritual walk that he used against you when you were 16 years old. You cannot grow offended at the people that God has assigned to you to protect you because I've preached this to y'all before. You come off the porch. Come on, prodigal sons. You come off the porch. You come out from under the blessing and the protection and you end up with the pigs. See, it's easier to act like a Christian than to react like a Christian. Mark Batterson said that, and he's right. And so, so I just want to have, uh, and then two other things real quickly. I want to make sure that as spiritual teenagers, we do not allow zeal to mask rebellion. 
There's a huge difference. As spiritual teenagers, a lot of times what happens is we are extremely, extremely passionate about what matters to us. may not matter to anybody else, but we're so driven by our emotions and our feelings that we're, we're in it, man. you got to do this, 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 and this, and if you don't, I'm going to. It's a mask for rebellion. I don't like the way you do what you do, and so I'm going to be passionate. When it's really rebellion. Um, okay. And then finally, and probably most importantly, in these teenage years in your spiritual walk, I'm going to say this. you got to get this. we got to get this. We all got to get this. Our identity must be established in Christ and Christ alone. As a spiritual teenager, if you're not careful, because people will begin to identify your giftings and your abilities and your talents, they will begin to applaud and approve of what you're good at. And if we're not careful in that teenage moment because we are so obsessed with fitting in, we will put all of our identity in our talent. We will put all of our, all of our identity in man's approval. We will put all of our identity into applause. We will put all of our identity in our calling. And what I am saying to you is that the, the dilemma there is at some point they're not going to clap for you anymore. And they're not going to like what you do anymore. And there will be a new flavor on the block at some point. And then you're going to be standing here going, I am a nobody. And I've got no ability. And I'm not gifted. And God has and call me and who am I really and what I'm saying to you there is a firm foundation you can stand on this morning if you will establish your identity in who Christ says you are alone you've got to know what Jesus says about you regardless if anybody else says it about you or not in fact everybody else might deny what Christ says about you doesn't matter I am who Jesus says I am and I won't believe any lie every voice that rises up in the accusation against me that that tries to belittle me and make me step back and step down and shut up and sit down. No, no, no. I know who I am in Christ. As a spiritual teenager, you must find your identity in Jesus. Your identity is not, is not a passion church member. Your identity is not a worship team member. Your identity is not a Hope Center graduate. Your identity is not an addict. Your identity is not an adulterer. Your identity is not a murderer. Your identity is not less than. Your identity is not nobody. Your identity is simply this. I am a child of the God that saved my soul. I'm a son of Christ. I'm one of his. I belong to him and I know who I am. When you get that, when you get that, when you get that, then you graduate and you mature in your walk with Christ. Father, we need your help. This is not an easy journey. Fact is, this church, no pain, no gain. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.